You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our sermon today comes to us from Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how that is my distress until it's accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rise in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Please be seated. You know, wrong answers can be bad, but bad questions can be worse. The question guides, doesn't it? It frames what we are expecting. And so a bad question has you looking wrong from the get-go, no matter what answer you end up with. And there are a few different questions that determine what we do in our lives. But perhaps the most important common is this. What do I want? What do I desire? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about the American dream and how this has been at the heart of America from its beginning. In other words, we want to be able to pursue happiness and we want to do it however we see fit. By now, a couple of hundred years later, I hope you've realized some of the outcomes of this. You see, it's one of the things I believe that's tearing our nation apart. Thus, if everyone wants to do what they want, whatever they feel will make them happy, then if someone does something that stymies that, well, that's basically unconstitutional. And even saying something that makes you feel unhappy is close to illegal. But this question about what we want is perhaps the key question guiding much of our decisions. For example, what do I want to eat? What do I want to be when I grow up? What kind of marriage do I want? How many kids do I want? How do I want to use my money, my body, my time? And to say something against those words, my wants, well, those are fighting words, aren't they? So if it's a family member who says them, I can give them the silent treatment or disown them. If it's a politician, I can vote against them. If it's a pastor, I can find another church. 
And even those who earn money by speaking to people pick up on this pretty quick. For after all, isn't it much easier to say what people want to hear than is to burden them with things they don't want to hear? And so politicians get elected by making promises that people want to hear. Pastors smooth things out when we come across something that people don't like. It's really not that hard. But the problem is, at least if we read in the scriptures about what God wants, is that God's wants are not the same as one's sinful desires. And this is the very reason that people don't like the Bible. Because it says something they don't like. It may say something they don't want to be true. But Jesus sends out his apostles, and he says they were to teach all that he commanded. And so the apostles in the church today are to speak the whole truth. The whole truth of God's word, not just those parts that people want to hear, but the whole truth. And that was the task of the prophets in the Old Testament as well. They were to speak whatever God wanted them to speak, which is not the same as what the people wanted to hear. And thus the prophets were called at times to speak, even to kings and leaders, men who were used to getting their way, men who want, we want to please. And as I said before, doesn't it make life a whole lot easier to say things that people want to hear? Especially if they have soldiers under their command. So take, for example, the prophet Jeremiah. As you read about Jeremiah, you find that he was surrounded by other so-called prophets. Other prophets who always ended up saying nice things to the questions posed by the king and the people of Judah. But when you get to the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah, it tells you that God finally has had it with them. And so he says, those prophets say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall follow you. There were prophets back then, as there are still today, who tell people to follow their heart. And so if someone says, hey, God says that's wrong, the prophets will say, ah, don't worry about it. Everything will be okay. In contrast to those words, God asks his own question in chapter 23. He says, is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? We know the answer to that, don't we? But we already don't like the question. And Jesus often uses questions in response to the crowds around him. And these questions and his answers oftentimes unsettle us. For example, he said in our text, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. 
And so when we hear Jesus' question and answer, it conflicts with our favorite question. And we start to look for ways to somehow smooth over what Jesus has to say. And it happens over and over again in the scriptures. And even if you've been raised in the church, you probably wish as you read your Bible, and as you get to this section of Luke chapter 12, you probably wish, you know, I just wish that wasn't there. We say that because it clashes with the wants of our culture. The culture that we're part of. Now, there's many things that Jesus said <clears throat> in regard to our hearts and our desires, namely, that our hearts are full of wickedness and evil. But in Luke 12, Jesus advances another question. It's more along the lines of, what time is it? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on the parable of the rich fool. You may recall the parable talked about this one who had this huge harvest. He was trying to figure out what to do with it. And so he decided he was going to build bigger barns. And then he'd be able to relax, to sit back, to eat, drink, and be merry. Remember God's response? <clears throat> he said, you fool. This night your soul shall be required of you. He didn't recognize the time. What time is it? Well, that's one of the questions, that things that Jesus had taken the crowd to task for in these words from Luke chapter 12. Jesus said to them, you know, you can figure out the weather, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. In fact, he calls them hypocrites. What time is it? Well, for Jesus, it was a time of waiting until the baptism he talked about, his death and resurrection, and that event is the sign that all the scriptures are looking for. That is the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all people. That's the climax of the story, if you will. That is where the hero fights to the death and rises victorious. I'm guessing that you've read enough books, watched enough movies or TV shows that you know the basics of plot. So what does it mean when the climax of the story has happened? Doesn't it mean the story is about to end? And this is what Jesus is warning them about when he keeps hitting on, at the question of time. Once his hour has come, he has done what he has come to do. And what does that mean? It means the story is almost but finished. Things are about to wrap up. Look for it. Count on it. You don't want to be unprepared. And if it is that time, what are you supposed to be doing? Well, Jesus said last week that it wasn't worrying about what you were to eat or what you were to wear. But rather, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As we wait for Christ's return, we're always to do what the saints have done. 
We look for Christ, we cling to his word, we live with him as Lord. For it's only by his word that we're forgiven. We're declared righteous by the, the judge and granted life. But Christ has risen from the dead. You've heard of his victory. You've heard it over and over again that by his baptism and the death, your sins have been paid for. And in your baptism, you have been united in his death and resurrection. And that raised all sorts of questions. What does this mean? Who am I? And the scripture answers that clearly. <clears throat> The scriptures say, you are a child of God. That because of Christ's acts, you belong to him. Because of what Christ did for you, you are an heir of the kingdom. But even though you're a child of God, even though you're an heir of the kingdom, we of course know that doesn't mean it's smooth sailing from here on out. We still live in an evil time, don't we? So what time is it? It's a fallen age, one that's drawn to a close. Is it not about time for Christ to return? Granted, no one knows the day or hour. But the scripture seems to am amount to waiting for midnight. And not knowing whether it's 1150 or 1155 or 1158. Jesus says to us, stay awake. Be ready, because Jesus will return soon. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpass all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.